One thing that we do here quite a bit is we do an acknowledgement of country whenever we hold any kind of gathering to just pay homage to the original descendants of this land, acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land that I'm on as I'm speaking to you today, the Wajik people, past and present. I know that's not a thing in the U.S., but it's definitely one here. And that's one thing that I can respect about Australia. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and the stories of Black women living and thriving abroad because we do this. We, we really do this. I'm your host, Christine Job, and I am thrilled that you are back. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to the next episode. It means a lot to me. So before we get to the next story, I, of course, want to tell you all the ways you can support this amazing podcast. Flourish in the Foreign is written, hosted, and crafted and lovingly edited by me, Christine. And this process is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And because podcasting is not free, it takes time, money, and resources to produce this fantastic show for you, which, of course, I lovingly do. If you are loving the show, I would love for you to support the show. There are two ways for you to support the show. One is monetary. The other is non-monetary, and both are equally appreciated. The monetary way is through the site Patreon. You can become a Patreon member by going to the podcast's Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash flourish foreign, which allows you to contribute to the show monthly. It works like this. Patreon will automatically take out whatever you choose to donate at the first of the month, ranging from one euro to as many euros as you like. And based on the level of support is the level of content that you receive from the podcast. That includes community access at the first level, bonus episodes at the second level, and behind the scene content and even live Q&A sessions with some of our amazing podcast guests at the third level. So if you've heard some of these stories and you would love to get to know these women even more, consider joining our Patreon community so that you can be in community with amazing, fantastic women living and thriving all over the world. If you choose to support the podcast through Patreon, I will show that appreciation by shouting you out here on the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you in advance. Now on to the non-monetary ways to support the podcast, which is equally as important. Please shout out the podcast on social media. You can tag the podcast across Across Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Flourish Foreign. Let people know what you think about the podcast, why you like it. Please review the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and of course, subscribe to the podcast so that when new episodes drop, you will get them automatically. Now that we're done with the support, and I appreciate all of your support, no matter what form it comes in, thank you, thank you, thank you. On to the next story. Our next guest is Valerie, a Nigerian-American woman from California, currently living in Western Australia. I really, really enjoy this story, and I hope that you all do too. Let's hear from Valerie. I'm Valerie Ugoki. I'm from Inglewood, California, and I left 
California at the age of 25 and I'm 33 now. I live in Perth, Western Australia. I've been in Australia for over um, eight years. It's been a really long journey. My parents are both Nigerian. They're both from the Igbo tribe for anyone that's from Nigeria or first generation American like me. I grew up with really a really strict um, and controlled structured environment. My parents had certain expectations which involved excelling academically and I just aligned the way that I lived my life around their expectations. Luckily, they allowed me to play sport because I had maintained a certain GPA. <laughs> I played college basketball. I was on a full scholarship at Loyola Marymount University. And every couple of years, they take the team abroad. While I was there, they took us to Australia and we visited Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne. And it was my first time traveling abroad. And I just was so... You know what it's like when you take that first trip. It's just so exhilarating. It's so new. It's so different. It's, even though English is the commonality, the culture is just significantly different. So yeah, that that was kind of the the starting point of me having this desire to to move abroad. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in finance and business management. I got the typical corporate job, and I thought that I had officially achieved the American dream, or at least started there. But as I was sitting in that cubicle, I realized that this was not the dream that I had in mind when I, you know, was working so hard in, in college. My job was really dull. It was like a culmination of experiences of the same thing happening over and over again. Dreading Mondays. The weekend is too short. Um, constantly searching for something to fill this void. So you do the typical things, go out party, whatever, to just get some exhilaration. I felt like I was just a number, and I wanted to be more than that. I wanted my voice to be heard, although I didn't know what kind of voice I had at that point, but I, I knew that I wanted that. I just looked at those four walls, and I just realized that I didn't want my life to be filled with regret. Disheartened and burnt out from her corporate job, Valerie knew that she needed something more and wanted to explore something different. She wasn't sure what that was, but she was really committed to finding it out. I just took the liberty of exploring what it is that truly brought me a sense of fulfillment. And that was really difficult because my entire life, I was sort of living someone else's dream. I didn't actually know what I really enjoyed doing. I had hobbies, but I didn't know what I was really passionate about. I took on two part-time internships. They were both in sports management and marketing because college basketball player, you know, maybe my career is supposed to be in sports management. I don't know. So I started off there. It's as simple as that. So it was a lot of learning what I actually enjoyed. In one of my sports uh, management internships, I was managing a semi-pro men's basketball team. I was responsible for setting up on game day, welcoming the umpires, taking them to their changing rooms, doing all of the ins and outs of that. And on this particular evening, one of the umpires struck up a conversation with me and I found him to be really friendly. So I shared my desires with him, which is really crazy, I guess, but I'm a bit of an oversharer sometimes. I just told him that I really wanted to figure out what I enjoy doing. 
He sounded like he was really supportive, so after the game, I approached him again and asked if he would be my mentor. And he was beyond elated and more than happy to help me out wherever he could. He actually encouraged me to use my athleticism to see the world. I'm sure that anyone that played uh, college sports can relate to this if they've ever been able to travel around Europe and things like that. They found that sports is a really helpful avenue for that. It's not just getting a full scholarship and all these things, but it can help you really explore. After not touching a basketball for three years and not going to the gym, <laughs> I pick up the basketball, <laughs> I'm in the gym, I am doubting myself every step of the way. I just want to put that out there because when you venture into the unknown, it's okay to feel fear and it's okay to feel doubt. It doesn't mean that because you feel doubt you're going to fail. It just It's just part of that process. But having a mentor there, he believed in me more than I did at that point. And that was really helpful in my journey. I started playing for a private basketball league and I ended up being pretty good and I was shocked. I did not think that I was going to be good. My mentor sent my highlight tape. So with sports, you have like highlight tapes of all of your best games and someone edits it for you. I didn't have that luxury. I just had one really good game in college <laughs> and he sent that out. <laughs> and Okay, so this is like three years later, right? So I hadn't even played, but I was like, this is all I have. So I sent it out and I got signed to play semi-pro basketball here in Western Australia. That was that's really why Western Australia was, you know, the place to move to, simply because the team had offered this opportunity for me to work in sports management. So I was the only athlete, and you probably will never hear about this, I'm probably one of the only ones, that wasn't actually paid to play their particular sport overseas. I turned down a paid contract for one where I could actually attain the skills that I believe would be useful in my, my growth and evolution. And, and sometimes you do have to go ahead and take things that don't seem to be beneficial initially, money-wise, to give space for the abundance that will come in the end. Valley is a first-generation Nigerian-American. I was so curious as to what her family reaction was to her making this bold and unexpected step in her life. At that point in my life, I decided that I wanted to live intentionally. I wanted this to be my own personal decision and not influenced by my parents or my peers. I wanted it to be something that came from me. So I made the decision on my own. I quit my job and then told my parents, because that's what you do when you don't want them to <laughs> keep you from following your dreams. And again, I have Nigerian, like proper African parents with the strong accents who were just like, what? Like, why would you... Why would you leave America to go to Australia? It's that kind of patriotism, you know, especially if your parents left a country to move to America, they can't imagine why you would want to leave the best place in the world. And for me, I think America is beautiful and it's a beautiful place to live, definitely. But I just felt like there was more out there for me. And eventually my parents came around and, and they just accepted the fact that I was going to do it anyway. The really interesting part, though, is that my mom left Nigeria in her 20s as well. So, I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because I'm simply following footsteps, not consciously, but, you know, on this subconscious level. They weren't exactly excited about it, but I think they embraced it. I, I broke my lease, which my roommates were fine with. I'm really grateful for having amazing roommates in the Bay Area. I didn't have any proper loans other than the car loan, and I had a conversation with my mom. I pitched the, the ambition that I had 
almost a business meeting in a way. <laughs> and she she was okay with taking over the loan. I, that is a big ask for anyone, but I couldn't sell my car. I was having troubles with that. And my mom decided to support my dreams by taking over the loan and, and paying off the remaining, I think at that point it was the remaining three years of the loan. So Valerie's gone from a finance career to professional athlete. And I had to ask her, what was that first year like going from a corporate professional to a professional athlete? I just felt like I was looking at a blank canvas. I felt like renewed and refreshed. I was so down from my corporate job that it was just, it was exciting to think that here I am in Australia, a different continent altogether. I just thought that there's no limit to what I can achieve. I was pretty lucky. So because I was signed on a contract, the basketball director was there to pick me up with his strong Aussie accent. And also there was another athlete that had been signed as well from America who came. I wasn't really alone physically at that point. I did have some support and I know that that's different for everyone, but that was my starting point. Under the contract, I, I did negotiate a few things with them and within my sports contract, I was able to get not like a home of my own, but I was able to get free housing and a shared car. So the first year was essentially all I had to worry about was like getting money for food and things like that. I did start saving pretty early on, like as soon as I got my job. I had this bonus check and my mom encouraged me to put that into stocks. So rather than buying some new clothes or whatever, I actually invested it. And I, I've taken that with me for quite some time. So I would, I would save quite a bit of money. So I did have some money saved up. And that's one thing I really encourage people to do is to start becoming more of a mindful consumer. And if you have dreams and ambitions, you definitely need some assets. And rather than using money to go party all the time or whatever, maybe save part of that, a certain percentage of your income so that you can invest in your own personal dreams. And if I hadn't done that, then I probably would be begging my mom for money for food. <laughs> so my first year was being a pro athlete. Every day looked like training on my own and then basketball group training in the evenings, um, working as a sports you know, manager assistant for the team, going to different schools and teaching the young kids how to play basketball. It was really fun. It was a really good year. Our team won the, the championships for the first time and I ended up being MVP and then I got signed to play on a national level. The equivalent of the WNBA, I got assigned to play in a WNBL. You can imagine how surreal that was because <laughs> that's not what I was thinking when I signed that I was going to be playing at the highest level. I was just trying to use it as an avenue to, to move abroad. In that same year, I ended up moving to Canberra to play for the Canberra Capitals and playing with women who play in the WNBA and come back and play in WNBL for Australia. It was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for me at that time. Something that a lot of people don't talk about are the highs and the lows. Living abroad is quite romanticized and living abroad is just that, living. You're not immune to the highs and lows of life. And as Valerie shares with us, you just have to use it to figure out who you are. 
there was a pretty significant turning point in all of this basketball stuff. I reached sort of like a peak moment where I was playing at a national level. I even, you know, got MVP in the game and people were telling me how I can go really far with this. And I just remember sitting back and thinking, all right, I've gone too far because this is not a dream of mine. It seems as though I have stepped from one person's dream into another person's dream that isn't my own. And literally the next day I landed on someone's foot fractured my ankle, ruptured ligament. My ankle was so badly fractured that my foot, it was so massive, my leg was black and blue. If you're not useful, they let you go. And I don't think it's anything personal. For me, it was, I'm injured, I'm not useful in terms of scoring points. And even when I was able to walk again, they were trying to force me to play. And because of that, I ended up re-injuring myself and having the third surgery. And it was at that point that I realized that God, the universe, wanted me to move in a different path. And it wasn't the one that everyone kept trying to force me into. I ended up having to have a screw put into my ankle and I fell into a really deep depression because I felt at that point that I had completely failed. So I asked for them to fly me back to Western Australia. And it was not until I got into that really dark place of deep sadness and despair that I found myself. I didn't know who I was. And in that moment of sadness, isolation, stillness, because I had a cast on, I couldn't move very far. I literally had to crawl up the stairs to get food. So I wouldn't eat that often. And even the crawling part, was physically, for me, it was so painful to feel like the people in this house would rather me crawl up the stairs than to live upstairs. I did initially have a lot of resentment. I mean, they were people at the end of the day, and there were African-American people in the house as well, interestingly enough, and you had Australian people in the house. And I don't think it has to do with gender or race or anything. I just think it has to do with people's inability to like see outside of their own story. The lack of emotional intelligence is a huge issue because we put so much emphasis on intellectual, staying present in class and memorizing things. And we haven't really put a lot of emphasis on emotional intelligence and the compassion for others. To think outside of ourselves is something that we're born with, but we lose it because no one really tells us that it's important in the grand scheme of things. And so they were no different from anybody else. They just couldn't see how their actions impacted my life. And if they had even let me stay upstairs, I would have felt like I could lean on them. But I had to feel so helpless that I had nowhere else to go but inward. And so for me, I'm actually extremely grateful for their actions. The experience it had to go that way. I had to feel like no one else could help me. And as soon as I realized that, then I pulled from an internal place, a deep place. And I realized that I am truly resilient. And after experience the high of being an MVP, a to the lows of injury and isolation, Valerie somehow garners the strength to move on into the next chapter of her life. And once I was able to, to walk, I decided to make my own way rather than hoping that someone could help me. I brushed up my resume and I started walking around to places that I felt would be helpful in my evolution. I walked into like a not-for-profit organization that focuses on 
the holistic um, approach to sports for young athletes. And I really liked that concept. It wasn't the sports part, it was the part that they believed in a co-created project and empowering young people. I went in there and I said, I'm not even looking to get paid, I'm just looking for an opportunity. She told me she didn't have any openings, I'll take your resume and I'll let you know. The next day she, she called me and she's like, I've never met anyone like you before and I just felt I can't miss out on this opportunity so I want you to come and work one day a week. And what they focused on is for the public speaking coach, the psychologist, the strength and conditioning coach, the, the head coach to all work together to help empower young kids. It's a really beautiful not-for-profit organization because where I was living is considered the Southwest. It's, it's rural. Perth, where I live now, is about a three-hour drive there it's considered kind of like a country. And these kids had so much talent, but if you have to go to training, drive three hours to go to training, the likelihood of that child staying in that sport is really slim to none. Or they end up failing academically because of the constant travels and pressures. We wanted to help them with that. I really, really enjoyed it. I love sitting and just seeing the light in these young children and empowering them and letting them know if no one else believes in you, I believe in you. That makes such a huge difference because in high school, I had an athletic d director like that. She believed in me more than anybody else. And because of that, I was just driven more than ever just to excel. And so I wanted to be that for, for someone else. So it started one um, day a week. And I, I like to give 110% when I do things. I do think it's important to try to give it your all wherever you can, just because it's your work. It's a representation of you. And because of that, I ended up kind of um, doing more than what my coworkers liked. And eventually they ended up slowly leaving and then I ended up getting more hours and eventually the last person left because they didn't like that I was doing so much and then I ended up getting a full-time job. I will say that the CEO, I approached her about being my mentor. You always want to be around people who are thriving, seriously. I, I, I don't believe in this whole thing of like being jealous of someone for doing really well. I think you can be inspired by their own radiance rather than feeling like you have to compete against it. So the CEO is just like this radiant South African woman. I just asked her if she could be my mentor. And I said, I, I want to be a CEO like you. Like, can I have some of your work? Sounds pretty crazy to ask someone for some of their work. Usually we try to do less work, but I thought that was really important in my own personal development. And she believed in me so much that she risked her own job to get me permanent residency here in Australia. And so, um, be because of that, we're still really close to this day. She came to my wedding last year. I consider her family. I was curious to learn more about the Australian work culture and how it differed from the American work culture. And if Valerie believed that she had somewhat of an edge being a foreigner. I think my Nigerian heritage just gives me that confidence. But also, I feel like the American way, at least what I received from growing up in the U.S., is that you got to work hard for what you want. So you, I think we could agree that two weeks holiday shows that we don't we can't even take vacations if we want to. Here in Australia, it's so different. Holidays are a really huge thing here. You get four weeks off a year, and some Australians like to take even more than that. Some, I would say, and I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush, but I do think that having a really high work ethic from being from the U.S. will help you go far here because it's just not as competitive. So you can 
take that eagerness to thrive and establish it here and do really well. That doesn't mean that it will hurry your journey to success or whatever success looks like for us as individuals. I think whatever's meant to be will be no matter where you're at. But I do think that it's helpful. So I was able to get in a role as a manager without having a previous managerial role just by selling myself. So I did my research on the organization. I put together a presentation. They All they asked for me to do was come into the room and be interviewed, but I wanted to really sell myself and I ended up getting a job because of that. And even the job that I have now in community engagement, again, I did the same thing. And I, I do think that it helps to have that extra edge as an American. And it's it's definitely a privilege. You're not as overworked as in the U.S. I, I just feel like there's a healthier work-life balance here, and I just felt like it was really unhealthy in the U.S. We have this thing called tall poppy syndrome in Australia where they definitely don't want you to be doing better than them. <laughs> and this is a common you know, phrase that I hear here. In my role at the, the sports academy that I was working for after I finished playing basketball, I was becoming a leader and the CEO was encouraging me to be more vocal. And so during a board meeting, I corrected one of the board members because he wasn't clear about the roles and responsibilities of a board member. Their roles are strategic and my role is operational. I felt like he was overstepping that boundary and he did not like that. The chairperson pulled me to the side afterwards and he was like, you need to know your place kind of thing. And that's when I knew that I wanted to start creating my own things because I don't ever want anyone to tell me that I need to know my place. That rubs me the wrong way. I don't think that was because I'm African-American. I, I do think it's because I'm just a woman. There's still a long way to go. I had to ask Valerie what it was like being a Black woman in Australia. A really good question because I feel like that's like one thing um, that a lot of people are curious about. And I think that's why it's one of the videos on my YouTube channel that has the most views. What is life like as an African-American in Australia? Um, because I think, one, a lot of people, women of color, especially African-American women, they're curious, is this a good and a safe place to, to live? And my first answer before I even explain my experience is, yes, it's a safe place for African-American people to live. You're not going to have people yelling racial slurs at you while you're walking down the street. And I personally don't feel like I was set back because I'm African-American in the workspace. You do have to acknowledge your, your privilege though, as an American, because <laughs> you have an accent, you sound very American, people are intrigued by that. That is a privilege. That means they want to hear what you have to say. And I acknowledge that definitely. My experience here has been good. I will say that Australia had a white Australia policy years ago. Australia was colonized by, you know, the British. There was this thing called the Stolen Generation. It's not a thing. It was an actual moment here in Australia where missionaries would take young indigenous Australian children from their homes and bring them to missionaries and basically try to rid them of their indigenous heritage. And then they were put back into there to be more, I guess, European, so to speak. And then after that, they had the white Australia policy where no one was allowed into Australia unless they were white. Actually, my uncle was one of the people who was unable to come to Australia years ago, way before I even thought about Australia. They declined his visa application because of his race. So in saying that, there are still people alive that lived during that time. <laughs> For them, they might not necessarily 
hate you because you're black, but they may not want to interact with you. This neighbor across the street, I think like because her own personal issues, she made a point of like moving my bin in the driveway. I mean, it's such a small thing, but it was just like I could tell that I was being singled out. And I felt a lot of anger. I wanted to respond, but I, I realized that there's this thing called karma and I just didn't want that to follow me. And I knew that whatever will happen to her because of that is her own issue, but I wasn't going to respond in a violent or volatile way. I did file a police report, but that's basically as far as it's gone. So in the eight years of me being here, that's like the one time where I felt like I was being targeted. That's why I do say it's safe because it's so rare. And I was living in the country where most people will be living in the city. If you live in the country, you may come across some people who are just, they're not used to interacting with people of color in general, not just black people. So they might have some negative viewpoints. I just ignore them. Being an African-American woman, I get stared at a lot because Australia is still predominantly white. Aboriginal Australians only make up 3% of the population. So there's a lot of white Australians here. So you might get stares because you were the only person of color in the room, but I don't think that people would treat you in a negative manner because of it. I had to ask because you all always want to know about dating and how is dating as a black woman in Australia? <laughs> well, I'm married to a white Australian man. I. I guess I've been pretty blessed in that way that I was able to find a husband here. But dating life in Australia was challenging because the pickings are slim. But I talked to my little sister in, in California. She says the same thing right now. So I guess it's not really that different. But in my experience, I felt like when I would date, they would put emphasis on my race. <laughs> Oh, never talked to a black girl before. There's no African-American men here. So you, your options are, you know, Australians, which are predominantly white Australians, like African men, which is still a very small percentage. And then you have an even smaller percentage of Sri Lankan, Asian, and also Aboriginal men. So the main ones that would approach me were white Australian men. And it was always... A thing of me being black was something that I don't think they were necessarily always comfortable with because interracial dating here is not that common. You rarely see it, and if you do see it, it's typically an Asian woman and a white man. So similar to San Francisco. <laughs> I almost felt like, oh, I'm not going to find anyone here. And I started online dating. It was horrible in the beginning. <laughs> and I remember this point, I was like, you know what? I'm done feeling this need to be with someone. Cause that, I feel like that is the real issue at hand. This desire and this pressure to find someone at a certain age and have children and all these things. I felt that pressure from growing up and those expectations from society and definitely from my parents. I felt like I was dating from the space of neediness. I feel like they could sense that so they weren't really drawn to me i remember the day where i was like i'm done and i deleted the app i was like i'm just going to enjoy my life in the way that it is and i'm just going to enjoy being single as soon as i did that i met my husband it's just so funny how things come to you when you let them go that's one thing i would just if anyone is 
keen to move here and they're single and they're open to dating just be yourself and don't even really go looking for it because it all it will always come to you when it's meant to i was intrigued to see how valerie used a problem with access to quality hair care as an impetus for an amazingly beautiful solution i've been natural since 2008 i chop my relaxed ends off and I love my natural hair. I wore it in cute tiny little fro for years until it would grow and I'd play with different styles and when I, I moved here I kept my hair out in its natural beauty. And then I got to a point where I just wanted to play around with my hair. In African culture that's a big part. We have different styles and it's a form of art. It's a form of expression, self-expression. And I wanted to wear extensions just to remember what I look like with it on and play with that look. And also as a protective style because my hair was starting to break from the change in weather. And braids are so expensive to get in Australia. That's one thing I should tell any black woman that wants to move here. You're paying about, you know, 250 to 300. And then if you want to buy the braiding hair, it's about 15 or $20 per pack. It's so crazy. I wasn't thinking about starting a business. I just wanted to buy extensions and, and I went online and I just, I was already in my process of like my spiritual journey resonated with me online. It was a lot of airbrushed photos and just these really perfect images. And I just, I didn't see myself in these stories. And like I noticed, especially on Alibaba and places that AliExpress, that they were stealing photos from influencers and putting it as if that was the hair that they were selling. And I just think, wow, how deceitful and deceptive. I can't trust you at all. I decided that I wanted to start my business, I in a hair. I wanted to highlight in this everlasting journey that we're all interconnected and we always will be. It took a lot of work because when you're trying to do a purpose-driven business, people aren't really going to care that much about that. They they just want to sell you something. They don't care what your in, your intentions are. They're like, this is cheap hair, just buy it. And I'm like, no, I want to know about the process. It was a lot of, again, trial and learning and having a lot of doors close in my face or feeling really sad about like the fact that people lack integrity that they were okay with harming other people in order to make money and I just it didn't sit well with me eventually I found some people they believe in my story and then they connected me with the right people and eventually I found um, a process that really resonated with me we don't collect hair from women who feel this pressure or even this need to make a spiritual sacrifice to shave their hair. We we don't collect hair that way. We only collect fallen hair strands. So we have about 250 hair strands that fall out of our head a day and the women simply co collect their hair strands and they sell it to us. They make money in areas where you see some of the poorest populations and it's not a get rich kind of process, but it's an ongoing flow of income for them. And I love that. And the other thing is that the vendors that I work with, I've spent time in these villages and they were shocked to see me. They said I was the first black woman that they'd ever seen. <laughs> they always see men, number one, and they definitely don't see a woman of color that looks like me. And I think that really meant something to them. I mean, my relationship with the, the vendors, I, I wish them like a Merry Christmas. I, I've checked in on them with the coronavirus and I say, I can't wait to see you again. And they're sending me messages like, we can't wait to see you too. And it's a really beautiful relationship and everything that comes out of INA hair embodies that. And it's a, it's a beautiful journey. And I really hope that INA hair resonates with all women who feel like they are ready to be 
a more mindful being. So INA is a Javanese word. So Java is in Indonesia and INA means beautiful. What we do is we, we celebrate the depths of beauty. There's so many layers to what beauty really is and that's what we, we celebrate. Valerie's definition of wellness and her experiences in Australia and Bali specifically led her to develop an amazing initiative, Brown Girl Bloom. Brown Girl Bloom was inspired by beautiful uh, moment in time where I connected with the most amazing women of color in Bali. I mean, just the most radiant Black women that I've ever seen. And it was just, it was such a beautiful circle of sisterhood because we were all extremely vulnerable. When you decide to move abroad, you're in a different space in your life. You're ready to, to blossom. We were all in similar stages in our lives. When you connect on that really deep level, it's just, it's something that moves you in a way that is beyond words. When I moved back to, to Western Australia, I wanted to replicate that almost because I missed it. I missed that, that sisterhood. I decided to create it because I didn't see it when I was looking for those connections, I didn't find it. Initially, it was actually called Brown Girls Network, Western Australia. And it was simply just a space for women of color to network and connect with one another. So I hosted dinner parties, girls chats, coffee and chill sessions, and so on. But in my internal world, I was spending a lot of time meditating, reading spiritual material, becoming a Reiki healer, taking Reiki courses, exploring Tai Chi, just everything, grounding, Aboriginal traditions, all of that. And last year, I had quit my job, as I do whenever I feel like I'm ready for a new chapter. <laughs> and I traveled around Europe in a camper van with my husband for a few months. And we stayed in the most breathtaking spaces. I mean, there is one in Lodham, Netherlands, where these massive trees that just were so high, you couldn't even really grasp how huge these trees were and we were just walking through it and I just felt this voice or this feeling of like you you need to share your your love your passion that sits within you with others and it was at that point that I decided to change Brown Girls Network Western Australia to Brown Girl Bloom a space for women of color to thrive I do that through encouraging women of color to explore the inner workings of their self through meditation, which doesn't always look like sitting still. That's one way out of many ways to meditate. You can journal, you can reflect. There's art therapy. Again, like I say, there's Tai Chi, there's Reiki, and I am simply more so passing on tools for their healing journey. I mean, it's been beautiful. We've had several soul sister circles, as I like to call them, and we focus on anything that pertains to holistic well-being. I'm in the process of now of planning a wellness retreat where I am collaborating with a Noongar Yemeji Aboriginal woman who has been one of my closest friends for seven years and an absolutely amazing Aboriginal artist and deeply connected to her roots. There are so many memories of me just simply sitting and listening to her talk about that tree and you know how her grandmother gave birth there and how they're connected to the land and all these things and so intertwining wellness for women of color with indigenous um, traditions so that's brown girl bloom that's what we're all about and that's that's what we embody speaking of aboriginal people i was curious as to 
how she became interested and how she formed a relationship with some of the Aboriginal people of Australia. Aboriginal women in the Southwest, they're, they're called Noongar people. But, so that's N-O-O-N-G-A-R. So if you're American, you probably say Noongar, <laughs> but it's actually Noongar. And I remember one day at a basketball game, they were kind of staring at me and I just smiled at them. And we started, you know, chatting and we became close friends. They they were the first to really welcome in, me into their family. I mean, they started calling me sister pretty early on. The next day, they called me sis. You know, that was in 2012. And I just felt so grateful for their welcoming spirit and energy that I just naturally wanted to learn more about their culture. And in learning more about Noongar indigenous culture, I had a desire to learn more about my own Nigerian culture. And before pre-colonization, what were my ancestors doing before the missionaries came? What was their connection to the land then? African culture is is a spiritual thing. (laughs) It's not like something you can read in books. It's something that that you, you learn from the land. And I saw that in Aboriginal um, Australian culture as well. Aboriginal people experience so much racism and discrimination here. You know, it's really sad. And it's the same as the Native Americans. And if you're African-American and you understand racism, discrimination in the U.S., think that times 10 for Aboriginal Australian people. They weren't even acknowledged as a human being in their constitution for years. I think only recently have they been acknowledged as human like a person that's that says a lot about what they've had to go through and when I would sit and listen to their stories and and the sadness I felt I had to be involved in being an ally not speaking for Aboriginal people but being an ally in whatever way I can for me my relationship in the Aboriginal community was just a, a huge community of sisterhood I began volunteering in like high schools for like the basketball communities just trying to encourage women, young indigenous girls, to really believe in their potential. There's so much doubt. You, you shouldn't be shameful of who you are as a person, you know? But it, someone has to let you know that you, you can change your narrative. You can have a new chapter. You can change your dialogue. And so that's what I've always endeavored to do whenever I can in that community. I'm running a health and wellness program for Aboriginal women and girls now. Um, here in Perth and we focus on holistic well-being again and that starts with really simple things like fitness and and healthy eating and oftentimes I'll ask them what are your aspirations and they're like I just want to be skinnier I'm like your aspiration should not be to be skinny because who you are is who you are what is beautiful is so subjective what some person across the world thinks is beautiful is going to be so different from what you think you just need to scrap that western like concept of being super thin is beautiful it's also just changing their 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 mindset as well it's been an absolutely beautiful journey with the aboriginal community and i do imagine that the The future will hold a lot of beautiful moments to experience as well. Van life. The concept or the movement of living in a camper van and not being tied down to any one place or a thing. Taking your home on the road and seeing as much of this wide and vast world as possible. Valerie did a van trip with her husband for their honeymoon and... 
It was interesting to hear her thoughts. I remember like sharing a video on like a African Americans travel Facebook page and saying the oh, van life here and someone came up and she's like oh finally you know like a black person is doing van life abroad and things like that I'm so inspired and it's, I really want black people in particular but anyone for that matter to really experience traveling the world in a camper van and just having this moving home and just seeing all of the gems that exist beyond like the typical path that we would usually take so usually we'd fly into somewhere and we stay in the hotel we probably wouldn't go any more than two hours away from the airport where we were going so far that there was no airport there was nothing it was just nature because nature is so beautiful i remember there was one really memorable moment there was a few but this one was um, spectacular we drove up this mountain in um, amalfi coast in italy so i know a lot of people have seen the absolutely stunning photos in amalfi italy but we drove up this rural like road, one-way road. I thought I was gonna die. I was so scared when a car would come our way. And we parked on the edge of this cliff. And we both poured this glass of Italian wine. And we watched the sunset from the edge of the cliff and it was a full moon. And it was just the most magical experience. It was only us there. It's something that I'll, I'll never forget. I never really saw too many people who look like me when we were traveling because we weren't going to the cities. We were always in the country for the most part. I saw was usually white or like Asian or Indian. And I was just like, I, I really do think that more people of African descent should experience this because it is a magical experience. I asked her about her thoughts on the Australian government's reaction to COVID-19 and how the country had been handling the pandemic. My thoughts are probably a bit fragmented because I don't watch the news and I don't watch TV. So I only get information from time to time. But Perth is one of the most isolated cities in the world. <laughs> it, it's so isolated that by enforcing the social distancing and um, closing down all the restaurants and businesses pretty early on, and quarantining anyone who flew into Australia for two weeks and then cutting off to a point where you couldn't even enter really helped to eradicate the amount of cases here in Australia. I live about like a minute away from the beach and it's a really beautiful beach. And my husband and I go for coffee every morning, but we sit in our car and I just noticed like over the weekend, there was so, like cars were bumper to bumper. People were laying out at the beach. I just... I don't know. I think our inability to see our outside ourselves, as I was saying before, leads us into like really bad and unhealthy habits. And that just really highlighted that for me. I think that if we are more self-aware, that we understand that although we could care less about our own well-being, our actions do impact others, you know? So those are my thoughts on all that. Wellness, a topic that is not nearly discussed enough amongst Black women. It's a question I like to ask all of my guests, and Valerie is no different. I asked her what was her personal definition of wellness. Wellness for me is the ability to flow with life, the ability to embrace each moment as it comes and understand that there is a message and purpose in each experience, the ability to be completely in alignment with, with your dharma, with your purpose to live a fulfilling life. That's what wellness really is for me. I believe that 
the unseen is even more important than the seen. And well-being is something, and wellness is something that starts from within and then moves into your external. So when you feel like this state, as Oprah Winfrey said, and I think I read in her, her book, What I Know For Sure, which is a really good book, by the way, is that you, want, you really want to aspire to be in a state of exhilarated contentment, that balanced, grounded state. That is what wellness means to me. Always feeling centered, always being able to lean back on that. That was uh, so good. Thank you, thank you so much, Valerie. And if you want to get to know more about Valerie and her many projects, follow her on all of her social media handles and definitely follow her on YouTube. Her YouTube channel is incredible. <laughs> if people want to join me on my journey and hopefully we can connect in some shape or form, they can find me on my Instagram page, Brown Bell Abroad. If they're curious about Brown Girl Bloom, we're also on Instagram. And also my ethical hair extension line, INA Hair, www.inahair.com. There's there's a lot to explore in different platforms. If you find one, you'll be able to find all the others. I tend to intertwine them all together. They all carry the same message. It comes from my purpose. So thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, please, please share this episode with someone that you think would be interested, someone who is interested in moving to Australia, someone who is thinking about using their athleticism to go abroad, someone who's thinking about starting their own eco-conscious and sustainable business. Again, if you like the podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars on Apple Podcast, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on, and of course, share across all of your social media platforms. Or just text someone and tell them about this cool podcast. Thank you to my brother, Zachary, for producing the music to this podcast. And if you need music or beats for your YouTube channel, your Instagram, your mixtape, definitely check out my brother, Zachary Higgs. I'll leave all of his information in the show notes. Okay, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I remember telling her that I was moving to Honduras and she said, oh, you mean Mexico? And I was like, no, Honduras. She was like, yeah, Mexico. So that that's kind of the reaction. Most people just kind of have no concept of Honduras.